Hello and welcome to episode seven of Encore. I'm your host, Tony Franchetti. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by One License, with access to over 300 member publishers and their divisions and a catalog of more than 125,000 songs. One License makes licensing easy. Their comprehensive licenses allow communities to reprint or project music for the congregation, to post services online containing covered music, and to copy practice tracks for rehearsal purposes. Visit www.onelicense.net today for more information on how One License can provide solutions for connecting with your communities during this season and beyond. One License, inspiring congregational song. Today's guest needs no introduction. He's a pioneer and a legend in the sacred music industry and also one of the most genuine people you will ever meet. Welcome on to the show, Marty Haugen. Marty, thank you for joining us today. It's great to talk with you. I'm happy to be with you, Tony. So the first question I, I got for you, just a kind of a basic a little question about your roots and your upbringing. Yeah, I've, I've lived most of my life in Minnesota. I was born in a small town, uh, raised in the Lutheran tradition. Um, my mother was a singer and a pianist, very musical, and I'm one of five children and all of us do music in some capacity. And after taking piano lessons from the age of six, the, the, my teacher, the organist, um, developed dementia. So I became the church organist in my parish at about 12 or 13. Wow. Well, there wasn't many people in Wanamingo. There weren't many people. And um, picked up the guitar on my own and um, played trombone in the band and also took violin lessons and then organ lessons after I uh, took over playing the organ. After college, and uh, I spent some time in England at a retreat center and worked with Anglicans, so I got some sense of the Anglican tradition in the music. And then when I came back and was looking for a job in 72, 73, I took a job in a Roman Catholic parish at right mm -hmm. about the time that the music was really starting to become important again. I mean, new music. And currently I belong to the United Church of Christ, uh, and so I've had kind of an ecumenical experience, which has been helpful in terms of uh, experiencing music from a variety of liturgical traditions. Right. That kind of brings us to the next question. So growing up, did you, you, you mentioned you were from a musical family, but did you know that a career in music was something that you wanted to pursue in life or did you have other, you know, passions and interests? Well, I, I was, I loved music but I never thought of it as making a living doing music. Um, when I went to college, I studied music for a couple of years. And when I dropped my music major, the advisor asked me why. And I said, well, I only see three options. I could teach and I don't have the patience. I could perform <laughs> and I don't have the skill or I could be a church musician. And I sure don't want to do that. So <laughs> I didn't anticipate it. And it wasn't until I started working in the Catholic Church as a music director that I realized that this was something I truly loved and enjoyed and wanted to do. Yeah. Knowing you for, you know, almost six years like I have and you're hearing you say that I didn't have the patience to be a teacher surprises me because <laughs> you just seem like, you know, very patient and easygoing. It seems like you would be a great teacher, you know. Ask my wife about patience, especially with children. Oh, for sure. That's a whole different game. So uh, who are some of your musical kind of heroes, I guess, people you looked up to that might have helped influence some of your early work? Well, I don't know if you're talking about liturgical music, but... Oh, uh, it could be could be any any type of music. Uh, or... 
music was in our house all the time when I was growing up, and all kinds of music. Of course, I studied classical music, and I liked everything. It's very eclectic. Um, Bach, of course, he was mm -hmm. a musician. Stravinsky, Brahms, Mozart, Ravel, Respighi. And then in popular music, of course, I was growing up at the age when the Beatles came out. Yes. All the, the incredible originality of music at that time, how it was changing. Uh, and then I've liked all kinds of musicians. But in terms of text, I was also impressed by poets. Um, I think of Joni Mitchell and Sting's lyrics and Mary Oliver as a poet and Wendell Berry, Walt Whitman. And I'm inspired by the, the wonderful text writers that have, a lot of them published by GIA, like Mel Bringle, Adam Tice, and um, uh, newer ones like David Bjorlin. And uh, as far as church musicians, at the time I worked in the Catholic Church, you know, I was struck by how St. Louis Jesuits were putting scripture to music. Right. I was struck by the really early ones like Joe Wise, who remains a friend, a great pioneer. He never saw himself as a musician. He saw himself as a poet. Um, and later on, I was real impressed with groups like the Damians, who mm -hmm. were very pastoral. Uh, the difference between a collection of music and a resource, they would put out music like Remember Your Love, uh, which were all ways of saying psalms. And that appealed to me because it was writing music for a very specific need that the church had. So, and Bobby McFerrin is a great hero of mine. Um, just the way he takes, makes music and spirituality sort of wedded so well. Yeah. Awesome. I always like to ask our composer guests that question. It's, it's really cool to see, you know, some of the influences. In well, everything, you know, I, I just love listening to new music. Um, right. Just anything that challenges me. And, and one of my heroes is Bernadette Farrell and her music and how yeah. she wrote it and how well. And of course, Michael Jonkis has been a real mentor for me. Of course. So I, I always like to these kind of little like history lesson type questions, but I think it would be cool for uh, for me and of course our listeners to know uh, how your relationship with GIA first started. Were you, were you approached by Ed Harris or Bob Battistini at the early stages of the company about publishing your work? Yeah, initially I wasn't imagining getting published, but around this time, a group of us music directors in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I live. Um, would get together and share songs. And uh, this is about the time Michael Jonkis' album on Eagle's Wings came out. And he invited me to be his accompanist, as he put it, mm. in Chicago. He was invited to do a gig and he brought me along. And then while I was there, he said, why don't you do some of your songs for them? And Michael Simbala from GI was at the conference and he talked to the GI staff and they said, uh, we'd like, we were interested in publishing music, but it was thanks to Michael bringing me there. Otherwise, it's it was hard to get your foot in the door, even today, right. you know, for composers and text writers. It's, it's nice to have a, someone who puts gives you a leg up. Yeah. Here you are these years later and, you know, many successful collections. It's it's a great story. It really is. Can you tell us the origin story of Shepherd Me, O God? Yeah, I've always loved the Psalms, I think. And I approach them each time I come back to them. They're different. I as a child, you had to memorize them in the Lutheran Church, so I knew them, but I didn't. They didn't really speak to me. And then, when I started in the Catholic Church, working the Psalm, of course, was there every Sunday. So I would try and get into the Psalm and try and pray it, and then sing it. And 
I, I thought one psalm I'm never going to set is Psalm 23 because there's so many great musical settings out there. And I just don't think I want to mess with that. But I got a commission uh, to write that psalm. And I was living up in, at a retreat center in the mountains in Washington State at the time. Mm -hmm. We had a small isolated community because we were cut off because of the snow. It was about nine foot deep all winter. Wow. But I tried writing settings, and then every night we had worship, and I would try them out, and the community would tell me what was wrong with it or why they couldn't sing it. And <laughs> I was real stuck. And finally, my wife said, why don't you make shepherd a verb? Because I didn't really, never met any shepherds. I didn't know what that was like. But I understood that as a verb. And that was sort of a way in for me. And I tried to, to be faithful to the text, the actual Psalm 23rd text and the verses, because um, when you deal with scripture, you, you're better off not changing any more than you have to. Uh, right. So that was, that was sort of the origin. That's cool. So we could partly credit your wife for your, you know, your help with that for sure. Or a lot of things. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> gonna say we don't want to get you in trouble, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Next question we have. So I know this is kind of a you know a broad question, but I'm just curious to kind of get your perspective on it. So looking back on church music as a whole, what do you think are some of like the main fundamental differences between the music that was used during the early parts of your career and uh, what kind of what we're using today? Well, of course, there was a big shift with Vatican II, moving to the vernacular and, and suddenly saying that the, the assembly song was important. Uh, and in the early days, there was no roadmap. So you had people like Ray Rep and Joe Wise and uh, early Bob Hurd and uh, Peter Schulte who were writing um, music just they would be songs like saying, here's what we're doing. Here we are all together, gather, break bread. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really theologically involved. It was more saying, let's be involved, let's sing. Mm -hmm. The early days, uh, people like Lucian Dess and uh, uh, later on, the St. Louis Jesuits started saying, let's sing the liturgy, not just put a song in the liturgy. So then you move toward using scripture and, and talking about parts of the mass and singing those things. And then you had groups like the Damians who said, let's not just put our favorite songs together. Let's say, let's write something like all the common psalms. Mm -hmm. uh, for the, so that was the next stage where people, and I'd listened to a lot of liturgical music. I remember when I took my first job at the Catholic Church, the, the music director before me handed me neither silver nor gold, and that was just like uh, gold for me, because it, it just <laughs> said, they're singing scripture. And I thought, this is amazing to give that in, on the lips and in the hearts of the community. And after that, people started looking at, let's try and create music more of a well, the resources came with the Damians, but later on when I wrote Mass of Creation, I was saying, I want to write something. I've, and it came out of pastoral sense that I had a parish with a folk group and a choir, and they each sang different music. And I said, how can you create something that everybody could sing, no matter what Mass they went to? And I think the music has evolved as composers and text writers have said, how do we try and write for a parish and not for the nine o'clock mass. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely, definitely. And whenever I've write, written, I've said, you know, 
I would get a new album by the St. Louis Jesuits or by Michael Jonkos, and I'd say there were big holes in the repertoire initially, just you could drive a truck through them. But as that, I said, what do I want to sing with my assembly next Sunday that I can't find? Mm-hmm. It was easier in the early days because you could say, well, we don't have any setting of Psalm 8 that I can find. So you'd write that. Uh, and it was writing for a particular community, not, you know, in the early days, I didn't write, I'm going to write something for the universal church. I would be, I'm going to write something for my community for next Sunday. Yeah, something that you guys need. Yeah, and I think yeah. as people still write that way. It's harder because there's so much music out there. Right. Uh, Opposed to when I started, but I think that still composers who are working in a parish are looking at that and saying, "What's needed in my community uh, for funerals or for Christian initiation or something like that?" Right. Your most recent collection with us here at GIA, "Choose to Hope." I was just wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about that collection. Yeah, I belong to Mayflower United Church of Christ, uh, and. I'm not on the staff. I'm called minister for special events or special occasions. It's a sort of a volunteer position. But I'm able to sit in the community and worship each Sunday, and I communicate with the music director and the pastors, and they tell me, we need this. Or So the title song came in early fall of 2016, and it was a very contentious time leading up to 2016. And there were other, a lot of things going on in the U.S. right now at that point. Um, increasing inequality, racial divisions, not that different than today. Mm-hmm. And he said, you want to focus on hope. Can you write something about hope? And I was thinking about how do you write about hope? And uh, I thought about, you know, when I met my wife and we were in love and uh, she's the best thing in my life and at times you wake up this morning and think do i still love this person and because they really pissed me off <laughs> and i think the secret of a long-term relationship is you when it's hard and my wife has to do this with me a lot you choose to love this person and you think until it's easy and i think in these times that seem contentious and seem despairing and hard Christian message is Christians are called to choose hope um, and then practice hope. And so the, the song Choose to Hope came out of that sense. I wrote it for my community. I've always been more successful in terms of people embracing the music when I write for the community I'm worshiping with rather than trying to, when I get a commission or something for a community that I don't know, it's much harder for me to write. When I can remember the faces and be there on the Sundays and other times with the community and I can write for them, then it seems more true to me. That's so great. The, the whole collection was about reconciliation and healing and hope. Yeah. And that's certainly something that, as you said, just really rings true. A lot of people out there throughout, you know, real tough year and a lot of people are searching, you know, for that hope too. So that's definitely very appropriate for today's times for sure. So as, as I just mentioned, it's been a, you know, a rather difficult and, ch- and challenging year, uh, forcing a lot of life adjustments for all of us. So besides you know, traveling for concerts, workshops, uh, leading worship every Sundays, what are some other ways that the pandemic has changed your day-to-day life? Well, I mean, like everybody in this yeah. 
we've gone through a lot of the same changes. Initially, I said, I'm going to treat this back about a year ago. I said, I'm going to treat this as an extended retreat. And, you know, it's easy to do that for two weeks. It's hard to sustain a retreat mode for a year or more. Um, and one of the things our parish did, I had been doing Wednesday evening contemplative services, sort of in the style of Tizay, using Tizay music, using Iona music, other things, and then writing some of my own simple music. And I find that I haven't been working that much with longer forms like strophic hymns. I've been writing more simple chant music simply because that's how we could pray. Mm -hmm. um, we had been doing it before the pandemic, and so I would be in the little chapel with a couple of musicians and one of the pastors, and there'd be about 40, 45 people there. But suddenly it became remote with only three or four of us there. And it, it's, it's one thing to sit in silence and pray and sing chants with 40 people. It's another thing to do it in an empty sanctuary with two other people. But I've been trying to find a rhythm of prayer and write those simple things out of that. Um, and I found one thing I don't miss is planes. <laughs> I, thought I, you know, I love to visit friends in other places, but, uh, and also I've been really um, struck by the environmentalist, that young woman from Sweden, Greta. Mm -hmm. And I, there was a special last night and I was thinking about, you know, it's just as well for me to do Zoom for talking. It's not the same for worship. And it's, right. it's, going to be a, it's going to be interesting to see how people come back together. And I've been starting to work a little more with hymnody because I'm looking forward to that day when we can all be in a space together. But you write, you write for the community and you write for the community's experience. And that's what's resonated most with my own community. Absolutely. Has your uh, community been meeting for, for mass at all in a small group recently? Still, yeah, as of today, which is the 29th, of April, we're still completely isolated. Gotcha. Uh, the choice of the community. Our pastor is in, uh, is passionate about trying to be a safe and, and model safe practices. I know that other communities are doing a variety of things, and it's going to. And I think it's going to change worship forever. Uh, I, it's never going to be the same as a lot of things are going to be. Um, but we're not worshiping together, and uh, ironically the engagement of the community or our giving has gone up. That's it's good. To me. Uh, yeah. I think that's true of every community, but uh, our staff, the staff there has done an amazing job of getting people involved in community things where they can outside in uh, working in areas where they can provide food and working in areas where they can make demonstrations and work on issues of justice. So I think the connections have been made in a different way. And Sunday becomes sort of the time, but you can tell in the letters to, to the community that people are passionate to get back together. Yes, for sure. I, I would imagine so. But that's it's a good thing that, you know, your your parish is still strong and, you know, keeping itself strong. And, and like you said, those connections are being made in another way. So that's that's great. And then it'll be all the more sweeter when, you know, once everyone's back together again and, you know, we could worship how we used to. Mm. And so the next couple of questions are a little bit more casual type, silly type questions here for you. But uh, I ask pretty much every guest this question. What are a couple of your favorite things to eat? Um, one of the blessings for Linda and myself have been to be able to travel. And you can travel and stay in hotels or you can travel on tours. But 
we've been blessed to most often stay with friends who people who become friends in their homes so mm -hmm. we've gotten to eat a lot of different foods and um, i think of categories more than i i really like asian food um, vietnamese which is a combination of chinese food with french because the french or there was a colonial uh, colony of france so they've got that wonderful and then thai japanese chinese i really like that I like Italian food, but when I say Italian food, I like authentic Italian food. Oh, yeah. We traveled to Italy with Bob Hurd and his wife, Pia Moriarty, and Pia knew everything. So we went to all these restaurants and had the real deal. And that's, you can't compare it with American pizza. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. Or like Olive Garden or something like that. <laughs> so me like being an Italian, I every time someone says Olive Garden, I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> And uh, Linda and I went on a trip with a number of friends, Tony Alonzo and Ray East, and a group to uh, Israel and Palestine. And I mm -hmm. love Middle Eastern food. And there's a couple of good restaurants in the Twin Cities and Indian food. We have a good Indian restaurant nearby. So I like anything that sort of stretches my uh, taste, just yeah. like music, anything that stretches me a bit. Anything that gets you a little out of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. But you mentioned the Indian food. Is shawarma one of your favorites? I'm, I'm more into, uh, I've had uh, a lot of tandoori and the curry. Yeah. Ah, yes. Yes. Next question for you is what are some hobbies, some of your favorite hobbies that you have, what you like to do in your, in your free time? Well, my, my life, as you can imagine, is normally pretty sedentary. <laughs> I could easily sit at the piano for two or three hours a day. And, um, so my wife has been very good about saying we're going to get outside every day during the pandemic so in the winter it was more cross-country skiing in the summer now we've already started biking and uh, yeah. uh, we kayak and um, and go for long walks i mean it's that's what i need to balance the time when i just sit uh, right I could easily if i didn't have impetus i could easily sit inside at the piano or reading but we both love to read as well yeah are, are you guys uh Big TV watchers, any TV shows you're watching currently? We try, you know, it's part of my long-term retreat has been to try and avoid watching TV any more than necessary. Mm -hmm. So we don't usually watch TV until we usually watch the PBC News, PBS NewsHour, and then we're stuck on British mysteries. We, ah. we That's usually what we watch occasionally at evening, but yeah, I... I very rarely watch TV until and I'll throw in a bonus question here. I know you're a bit, you know, from your career and, and, uh, I know you're a very well-traveled, you know, person. So I know Hawaii holds a special place in your heart, but what would you say is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, vacation spot. Um, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, there, I like them for different reasons. One of the most exotic trips I ever took. We were in Hawaii and the man who was the king of Samoa, independent Samoa, was there. And he was very interested in indigenous music. And I told him I was too. And he said, well, why don't you come to Samoa? And so I traveled to Samoa for a week and a half. And he took us to his village, which didn't even have electricity. And the local choir sang. And I, uh, I had a portable recorder that runs on batteries because there was no electricity. So I recorded this choir and then they had a, um, a feast and 
the whole village was there, which is about 80 people. And there was a group of about eight of us who were sitting, who actually had a table. Most people just sat on the ground. And they served, this is another thing about the exotic food. They served me a plate um, with things on it that I'd never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> and including a fish with all the scales and the eye and everything. Yeah. And I'm looking at this. And <laughs> a woman who was serving me said, you know, like Samoan food. <laughs> but I think we loved my I've only been to New Zealand once, but I loved New Zealand. And um, of course, Hawaii is beautiful, um, but we're not, who knows if we're ever gonna get back there with this. But right. I love Wales. I've been there with some good friends. And right before the pandemic, we were able to go to South Africa, which was on my bucket list. Wow. And that, I wanted to experience the totality of their history and their culture. So when you say vacation for me is not like lying on the beach necessarily. Right. Relaxing. You want to more so kind of immerse yourself in the in the culture. Well, so it's hard to say, you know. Yeah. Like you said, everyone has kind of their different their different uh, reasons why you like. No, that's that's I cool. I feel incredibly blessed for that. And, and if I don't never travel overseas again, I, I think I've had the most most that I could have ever hoped for. Right. Very cool. Well, next question here, we'll kind of wrap us up with this question. Uh, another one that kind of a general question I ask most of our guests. So uh, you don't have to spill the beans on anything, any projects or anything like that, if, if, if you prefer not to. But what's, uh, what's next for Marty Haugen? Well, I think the word you use, projects, I think says volumes, because I think for much of the time that I've been doing this as a career, the idea was a project. You know, you do this project or that project. Tony Alonzo and I are just finishing up on the revised Lyric Psalter, which is, you know, that was a project. Uh, as anybody on the staff, the editorial staff can tell you, that's a never ending project. Um, and now I'm just, I'm going almost full circle. When I started at my first parish, I was writing for next Sunday. And I'm not writing with a project in mind. I'm writing for what does my community need? Or I've got a commission right now from a community, so I'm talking about what do you need? So it's still writing to task, but it's not writing with any large or immense project in mind. It's about writing back like I started. And some of it will get published, much of it probably won't. Um, but I feel very blessed and I feel very inspired to just write for a particular need of a particular community. So, and that, that feels good to me. Uh, I think the days, I don't know, maybe you know this better than I do, but I think the days of big projects might be over in a larger sense that GIA, we went from LPs to cassettes to mm -hmm. CDs and now to downloads and watching that it changes. Uh, LPs sort of demanded projects or at least, a, you know, uh, downloads are one song at a time. So right. it changes the whole way we look at how we're creating music. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. That is, that is it, Marty. We got through everything and uh, nice. Very cool. Thank you very much, Marty. I really, really appreciate you, you jumping you on. Me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, for good sure. Luck with all this. I'm glad. Thank you. you. I appreciate it. And give my best right. to Hannah. Will do. But give my best to Linda. You you have a good rest of the day. All right, buddy. Thanks, Tony. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Marty Haugen. 
For a limited time, we will offer all Encore listeners 10% off Marty's Choose to Hope collection. The discount will be good on both the music collection and the recording. Buy now at www.giamusic.com. The offer is only good until May 17th. Here's a one-minute clip of the title track, Choose to Hope. is born when we choose to believe that love is stronger than hatred. Love is born when our hearts learn to see that every person is sacred. In the times of darkness, in times of fear, choose to hope, choose to Thank you for tuning in to Episode 7 of Encore. Stay tuned to our social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for updates on our next episode. Until next time, take care, everyone. (laughs) 